0: Today on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, we have your week in sports cars, brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, Bell Racing Helmets USA, our cat Rosie, who was sleeping on my chest a moment ago, but has moved over towards the windowsill, and a beautiful cat by the name of Graham Goodwin. He, editor of (laughs) DailySportsCard.com, he with a husky with a bucket over his head right now which you might have to explain and a person whose face voice and posterior you might have seen or heard on various european sports car broadcasts how are you my man mr goodwin
1: I'm great. We do indeed have a Husky with a bucket on his head. I'll explain that a little later. But uh, but uh, what, a, what a plus it's, it is to say, we went racing last weekend, Marshall. What? I actually went went to a racetrack for a week and watched race cars going round and round very fast. And it's the first time I've been able to say that since February of this year. What a buzz. I
0: haven't been to a racetrack since September of 2019, so I'm jonesing in particular, <laughs> my friend. Uh... Boy, we have a weird divergence in things. We have the traditional heck-a-bunch. That's an official uh, unit it of measurement, by the way. Uh, a heck-a-bunch of questions and an absence of a heck-a-bunch of time. So in the interest of getting to as many questions as we can, all submitted by our delightful listeners most of them delightful. There's a couple of you, you know who you are. Yeah. Yeah. You step yeah. it up guys. Um, let's get to as many as we can, as we always offer. If you want it answered and we didn't get to it, send it back in. And we're also going to call a bit of an audible at the end of the show, seeing how far we've gotten. And if there are too many questions left, maybe we can come back on Friday or Saturday and knock those out. But Till we get to that point, Graham, and as the official selector of which of the four categories we work from each week, where are we starting the show?
1: We're going to start with him, sir, and we're going to start in particular with a subject that's piqued a number of uh, listeners' interest. It is the announcements uh, that came just yesterday here in the UK, um, and I think yesterday where you are as well, MP. uh, That's Penske and Acura. Uh, that alliance, that partnership, will be no more uh, in DPI after the end of the current season. Uh, so we've got uh, questions amongst the questions here. Tommy Coldwell who's going to take over from Acura DPI. Uh, Dale Monroe says, is Acura really out next year? Well, you can clarify that one because this is where the devil is in uh, the macro and the micro, isn't it? So, Acura, tell us what you can. I know that's not all that you know, but tell us what you can, MP.
0: Yeah, I wish I could tell you everything that I know, dear listeners. I can't. Uh, I can't. I could tell you that I might be able to write a speculative story on what I think it's going to look like, and I'd actually put some pretty good money on that story being pretty darn accurate, but again, I know that not everything is solidified, so... We won't be going into details on the who, what, where, and when kind of deal. Maybe the when a little bit. Acura is not leaving IMSA's top-class Daytona Prototype International. They are splitting with Team Penske, the team that helped Acura Motorsports and their partners at Honda Performance Development to secure drivers, teams, and manufacturers championships last year in the 2019 running of the WeatherTech sports car championship so this is a bit of a strange thing graham hey you are the reigning defending imsa dpi champions and halfway through your follow-up season you're announcing you guys are parting ways once 2020 is done now that is an oddity i can tell you that this outcome with acura and Team Penske going their separate ways, divorcing at the end of 2020? Not a surprise by any stretch of the imagination. This was a three-year contract, as it was announced when this program was launched, uh, presented, I should say, publicly in August of 2017 at the Rolex Monterey Motorsports Reunion. Was fortunate enough, Graham, to get the invite to come to that embargoed thing and uh, put the sticker over your the camera on your phone and you can't talk about it and it's all under embargo and yada, yada, yada. It's great to be there. Knew that it was coming. Happy to see it. Really delighted for all the parties involved, all the drivers that got opportunities or got elevated in some way. Elio Nevés being moved over. Juan Montoya being moved over from Penske's IndyCar operations and such. Ricky Taylor getting hired, which is great for him. Dane Cameron getting hired. Cameron and Montoya being the reigning champions in DPI. Awesome thing. Three years. Let's go get it. And they did. In year two, they got that championship. But we can't deny what has been... Spoken about many times, usually Graham. I don't want to say in hushed tones, but there's been a fairly, fairly consistent drumbeat behind the scenes on the topic of budget. And ooh, if you look at the program, it is beautiful. It is shiny. You would know compared to every other program in dpi this is one where no expense is being spared not a coincidence graham or dear listeners that when you have no expense being spared you get things like a championship but the downside to that and this is just paddock rumors and whispers but persistent ones it's been along the lines of ha huh, okay we're 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 all in to do this and to fund this and make this happen in this manufacturer rich d p i class, but there's limits to the limited funding if you want to put it that way, so the rumors of just costs being brutal excessive throw you can throw a variety of words at it, but the thing I've heard. And others have heard because trust me, I've had uh, those in the paddock saying, "Hey, are you have you heard this grumbling and rumbling and such?" Yeah, absolutely. That to have the success that is has been produced, uh, the dollar amount to create that has been well beyond comfort levels, and so because of that. I don't know if I've put it in print, but I do know you and I have discussed this, Graham, more than once on this show since this program kicked off in 2018. I have mentioned multiple times that, oh, boy, if we're looking at a time where this partnership ends, it's probably going to be due to something cost-related. And to everything that I understand, that is exactly what we have here. So let me read a quote. I interviewed Honda Performance Development boss Ted Klaus yesterday, and I really like Ted. Just a little bit of a sidebar. The, a very different guy, but different doesn't mean bad. Just he's an abstract thinker, which I love, and probably makes sense because my brain falls in that direction quite often as well. So, knowing everything I just mentioned, if you haven't heard on whatever previous episodes about, yeah, the, the costs to do this are, are going well beyond expectation, and that comfort zone might lead to uh, an end to the relationship after the contract is executed compared to a new one being offered. Knowing the cost and the that side of things, that might help lend some context, Graham, to the interview that I did with Ted. The uh, story went up this morning on Racer HPD Outlines Next Step for Acura DPI program, where Ted also mentions they will not be doing customer cars. There'll be no customer program. It'll be strictly factory-affiliated going forward, so no change there. But I asked Ted, hey, for those who don't understand why a high-profile relationship between Acura and Team Penske would come to an end coming off the heels of a championship, what would you say? This is what he offered, and so filtering this through the cost side might provide some clarity. So the best way to answer that is when you begin a partnership, it has an estimated life, stike, life cycle. I was about to say cycle. Yeah. Add that one in Jacob Bain to the Twictionary of my malapropisms. Uh, he went on to say this was envisioned to be the most effective way to earn a championship in three short years. That's how we envisioned it. We earned it in year two. and Now have to think about the future and consider the surrounding economic environment. Referring to COVID-19, obviously, and the downturn in auto sales. says, in racing, you have to give 100% in to produce results. There's no saving 10% in racing. That's just wasting the other 90%. He goes on to say, I think out of respect for who we are and who Penske is, if there isn't that 100% commitment to 2021, then we need to reset. It's somewhat powerful words, I would say, Graham. And as I interpret them a little bit further to close on this topic, I believe what Ted was saying without trying to put too fine of a point on it was using what we mentioned about high budgets, possibly budget overruns a couple of years in a row, factor in, where we are today with auto sales downturn and everything for every auto manufacturer. The fact that every auto manufacturer is looking for ways to save money. Uh, If we're going to be in racing, continue to be, how do we do that in a financially responsible and efficient manner? These are things that all of a sudden collide in a capacity that would in theory be hard to continue and sustain. So knowing Penske's approach to racing, and it's obviously worked well for them because they seemingly dominate every championship they're in, it involves being fully funded by a manufacturer or major corporate partners. And if you look to the quote offered by Team Penske about why this relationship is ending, it also Points Point two, with a little bit of the knowledge we now have, uh, the money side. Tim Sindrick, Penske Racing President, uh, said we simply couldn't align on how we should go racing in the future. So to wrap this, Graham, as I believe the distillation of everything that's been said, both in the knowledge we have about budgets, overruns, about HPD and Acura needing to be smart and not excessive with what they spend in racing during, as a result of COVID-19. And also, as we know, Penske's standard practice in working with manufacturers to be fully funded by that manufacturer. Sounds like either a budget cut was proposed or the need to go find sponsorship uh, on the team side to satisfy some of the budget. I think that's the heart here. I think that's the heart of why these two parties are no longer going to work together. It's not as if this was some sort of top secret thing we're talking about. Parse it out of the quotes here, which is what I was wanting to do for us, Graham. But I really do think when we see Acura come back next year with what I've heard is going to be at least two teams, running individual entries compared to what we have now where everything's placed in one house with both entries. I would not be surprised at all if with the teams which we've heard could be one or more that's currently in IMSA heard a number of Honda powered IndyCar teams mentioned as possible partners slash service providers in this uh, way. I would not be surprised, nor should anybody be surprised if when we see these Acura Air XO5s return next year for them to be with teams that have external sponsorship to help cover some of the budget or are in the midst of finding new or uh, you know getting greater commitments from existing sponsors to fill that role. So if you recall the last time Acura did this in a significant way in the American Le Mans series, you would look at the Highcroft Racing Program, Patron. That was their big vehicle entering into sports car racing. If you looked at, at the Fernandez Racing Team, Lowe's, the, the construction materials and whatnot company, that was their big deal. If you looked at Andretti Green Racing, a Sirius XM was their big deal. The only team among the four that Acura was linked up with where it was really clear it was just straight up uh, Honda Acura money was the Deferin, the brand new Deferron Motorsports team established about halfway through the 2008 season and it didn't carry any branding or if it did they were Honda Acura affiliates, you know, the company that did their sound their high-end optimum sound package, or some other things. But of the four, three of them had strong, big brand, or clearly defined sponsors that helped fill in the full budget requirements. That hasn't been the case with the Acura Team Penske program. I fully expect to see that return next year with whomever is running the cars of whatever sponsors they would bring to fill that budget portion, Graham. And that's where I think the, uh, we simply couldn't align on how we should go racing in the future. Quote from Tim Syndrick. I think without him saying it, that's what he's talking about.
1: Well, it's going to be, uh, part of the scramble, isn't it? In the off season <clears throat> or maybe a little earlier to find out just exactly who's talking to who <laughs> may well be. But that's not the last uh, chess move in that paddock. Uh, there's all sorts of things in play. Let's move on from one manufacturer beginning with A to another. Comes from Mike Drotleff. Mike says, "Was the 24 Hours of Daytona the only time we'll see an Aston Martin on the grid this season in the WeatherTech Series in Emsa? Now I know the answer to this, and the answer is no. You're going to see one at Road America, I gather. Have you seen the entry list yet, MP?
0: I want to say yes, but I also need to say – I don't remember. I've seen a number of entry lists over the last it's, 24 hours, no and I'm, it's, I'm it's, it's hot, blurring.
1: It's no problem. Heart heart of Racing will yes. return in GTD. There you go. So that's the good news if you're a lover of fine automobiles from my fair country. is Mike. The good news is that Heart of Racing will be back, and we'll wait and see uh, what kind of program the team get together for the remainder of this kind of rather – constrained season that we've got uh, worldwide That's an interesting uh, with- one Graham
0: because the reason for their taking a knee in and pausing things upon IMS's return at Daytona and Sebring was strictly about COVID they just yep. did not want to travel did not want to put their folks at risk and again no argument that nothing being said there is critical I haven't had a chance to speak with the fine man known as Ian James, who runs the team and drives the hot rod alongside Roman DeAngelis. But I wonder if it was a Florida thing. (laughs) I wonder if it was just a case of, yeah, the outbreak there is pretty bad. We're not going there. So we'll wait, and we will indeed go to Wisconsin. I wonder if it's that simple of just picking the time where they felt it was safest Mm -hmm. Safe being a relative thing, obviously, Uh, and just skipping the uh, two-round Florida swing here. So, But yeah, nonetheless, that slightly hushed twin-turbo V8 Aston Martin, man, that's one of the most beautifully shaped cars in any sports car paddock. Yeah, can't wait to see the good old Harder Racing Hot Rod return.
1: Right, a couple of questions on the, we talked about this for week after week after week, potential further changes to the IMSA WeatherTech uh, Sports Card Championship calendar. Uh, Two questions. One comes from Scott of Third World Racing and also from Chris Ward, Watkins Glen and Lime Rock might well fall off the calendar due to quarantine restrictions. It seems what two tracks, uh, they say, would you like to see replace them? Uh, Scott says, uh, hashtag me personally, would like to see Bob and Motorsports Park hold an event. Um, are we going to see replacements at this stage?
0: Yeah. Yeah. There was another outlet that we sometimes give a very hard time for the loosey goosey nature of what they do. Uh, Somebody leaked uh, the plan and uh, didn't get it completely correct, but but what was leaked or given or however you want to call it, uh, pretty darn close. So, I'll just say this, and none of this is said in a negative way. Graham, you know this to be the truth, because we both talk about it all the time. Um, based on the commercial interests, those who might support a site, uh, a website or magazine, um, consulting deals, you na- whatever it might be that you have, there are many things that you learn about that would be considered big, giant, juicy pieces of news. And they die on the vine because you can't use them without betraying an advertiser or a whomever else. And so you have to sit and intentionally let others break some news that as a news person might eat you up inside a little bit, but you have to, because that's the, uh, there are always commercial considerations. I would just say that what was printed about this Scott And I know, Chris Ward, you're asking as well about this too. Um, I would just present this as one of those things which it seems like I am having to do a lot uh, over the last however long, uh, year or two. This is yet another one of those things where uh, I'm not unhappy to see others break the news, but I do know that uh, this being one of them is something that, uh, have had to sit silent on, uh, can say, and I'm not really getting in any answers about where they will be be racing. Because again, if I'm not going to put it in print, I'm not going to talk about it here. Um, what you might've seen written about elsewhere, Scott and others who are interested while not being totally accurate, uh, is pretty darn close to accurate. So if you were to take some of that as a good guide, uh, of what might be coming here in some news i would assume sometime fairly soon um, don't be surprised when you see a lot of what you've read that was um, revealed to someone else as mostly accurate so changes coming replacements coming and i still don't know if these are going to be the only ones meaning the, i should say the last of the year
1: yeah, it's not going to last the year, certainly across the, the board. We're not yet on Wick Aslam's. Sorry, I can't be or... more
0: accurate, by the way. Just yeah. some some of the times you got to go, look, uh, no, no. I can't get into it. Uh, but if someone else got the story, good on them. Um, yeah, yeah. But right. I, I still can't put a fine point on things, because uh, I can't.
1: Yeah, there, there will be other changes, without a shadow of a doubt, written uh, to Smaller calendar stories today on other series and certainly a pretty significant series in Europe. I'm expecting a race to fall. Um, We'll wait and see, hashtag wait and see, uh, as to just exactly when that call is made. Uh, Moving on, though, let's have a look at Kevin Payne's question here. Great result for the AIM versus Sullivan Lexus RCF GT3s and GTD. Were any specific changes that made that enabled them to dominate so far?
0: Well, <laughs> we want to get to uh, the WEC and ELMS and our fun category and our general story, Kev. So I could spend an hour talking about this, so but I won't. Uh, very quick things here. The team itself is excellent. I'm. 1,000% happy in saying that AIM Vassar Sullivan, that being facilitated heavily with the knowledge of the AIM side, Andrew Bourdine, um, and the rest of the family there, those folks are very good at sports car racing. <laughs> they are very good at what they do. And so their knowledge is has just been a massive, massive boost to everything that Lexus has been trying to achieve. Ian Willis as well, Willis Brothers. It's just a giant brain with tons of experience and know-how in taking a car and developing it additionally. In partnership with TRD, Toyota Racing Development. Uh there's just been a great I hate the word synergy, but it applies here. It's been a great synergy between Aim Vassar Sullivan and TRD in elevating the Lexus RCF GT3's overall performance capabilities. Big arc, you might have noticed, Kevin, from its initial introduction and in finding a modicum of success with its first uh, service provider, that being Paul Gentilosi's 3GT Racing. No dramas there. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, <laughs> say no more. <laughs> the big difference between that era and this era with Aim Vassar Sullivan is consistency. We'd often see the Lexus' streak, right? Boy, they're going really quick here for a little while, and then boom, what happened? Where did the pace go? Uh, thats That's been rooted out. So the cars are very consistent performers now. Whatever pace they have, they hold, by and large. So those are, those are great things. The thing that I'm not going to go crazy in depth into, but just need to acknowledge up front. (sighs) Mentioned that it was a great performance by them, just a little tweet or whatever else, and had somebody, rightfully so, fire back and say, oh, you know, BOP, you know, come on. I mean, uh, how could they not? The BOP is totally in their favor. I'm not saying that IMSA's BOP has not aided and assisted their two-race winning streak so far here. But I have come to this epiphany, Graham. And this is the part that I'm just going to go short on, and then we'll move on to another question. There's no doubt that Mazda's win at the WeatherTech 240 at Daytona on the 4th of July was absolutely expedited by balancer performance. When the Mazdas needed to go faster and demonstrate winning pace, they had that capability. And none of the other manufacturers could respond with race winning performance. So we can say without, as Graham Goodwin likes to say, a shadow of a doubt, that BOP was a, it was like an extra top tier co-driver in, in that team's performance. And it helped get them to the front and win the race. Beautiful thing. Good for them. We can say the same thing about Lexus. We can also say that going into Sebring last weekend, Graham, BOP changes rendered the can't beat them Mazdas at Daytona into can't find them Mazdas at Sebring. Through the proverbial keystrokes, the team that do, the manufacturer that dominated the last race was rendered darn near invisible at the next Cadillac, which rallied and did well at Daytona, despite not having anything close to the pace capable of winning. Somehow magically at Sebring (laughs) couldn't come up with a way to not dominate. I mean, they were just (laughs) the fastest thing, period. So again, in the case of in a span of two weeks and two races, the biggest was dropped to the smallest and kind of sort of the smallest was elevated to the biggest. Do we really think in the span of two weeks, Mazda forgot how to engineer its cars and its drivers forgot how to drive? And at Daytona, Cadillac's teams and drivers forgot how to drive an engineer and magically they remembered two weeks later, no. It's BOP. It's what it is with the excellence of those teams added in. BOP is not going to make a bad team win. We know that. But I mention all this, and this applies to Aim Vassar Sullivan as well. Back-to-back winners. I've just come to this epiphany, Graham, where since we know B.O.P. is a factor in those who have great days and those who have bad days, I'm just going to celebrate it like it's a thing. And so that's why I'm going to send out tweets saying, hey, congrats, Aim Vassar Sullivan and A.A. Ron Thielitz and Jack Hawksworth and whatever else, badass performance. I know that BOP was involved, but since I can't make it go away, all I can do is just celebrate things like they happened organically. Even if we know that Cadillacs jump from bottom of the barrel to top of the barrel, bad keystrokes involved. Well, dang it. Congratulations, Cadillac on your one, two, three. Pippo Durrani, amazing drive. Felipe Nasr coming off of COVID-19 he couldn't taste anything or smell anything and now he's climbing in and driving his behind off and winning the race congratulations one two three we're just i uh, what else can i do so that's where i've come to here kev uh great development by all teams and all their cars everyone's been putting in great work sometimes those keystrokes uh we'll just say air quote reward rewards that work
1: Okay, Coke, okay. we'll move on.
0: Why don't we take uh, one or two more and then get to uh, gonna, your world?
1: Yep, just going to suggest one from our good friend SRA smoking, PuffP841. How harsh was the penalty for Dragon Speed at Sebring? Surely a 19-second penalty, 10 times the infringement, which as I understand it was less than two seconds under for Enric Edmund on his minimum drive time, would have been more appropriate yeah i should say by by the way adding into this while you collect your thoughts we had a driver time infringement at the lms at uh, paul ricard the weekend it was over six minutes under (laughs) and that was that was (laughs) yes indeed that's one heck of a miscalculation uh that was converted into i think i'm right three laps dropped the car from second place to ninth overall um it's a it's a fair point isn't it how how big a penalty effectively i guess you could say it's two seconds you could say it's a lap
0: well it's the old letter of the law spirit of the law routine and as we have come to find in sports car racing globally and as i've stated for more than a decade sports car racing is not actually a competition it's not actually a sporting endeavor it is just a collection of rules uh played out on track uh, and adherence to those rules it's really why sports car racing exists the spirit of competition meh. it's who can master the rule book and not do anything wrong i think that's all it is um i am expecting some news from dragon speed to land today on their imsa program so i haven't filed the story to road and track yet it's under 300 words so it might not take that long to read Why don't I just read this unfiled story to Road & Track? When is a win recorded as a loss in sports car racing? Thanks to an obscure rule known as minimum drive time, the Dragon Speed team in IMSA's LMP2 class found out Saturday night at Sebring after winning their class by 12.258 seconds on the road. Moments later, as the news was announced through the facility and the public address system, Dragon Speed celebration turned to sorrow when officials noticed one of its drivers hadn't spent Enough time behind the wheel in the 2-hour and 40-minute contest. Despite being first to cross the finish line, the team was relegated to second to last in the field as the combination of young Californian pro racer Gustavo Menezes and Swedish sportsman Henrik Hedman forfeited the victory by missing the drive time minimum by 1.394 seconds. According to the rules, Hedman needed to complete 45 minutes inside the number 81 Oreca. Gibson V8 prototype to achieve the minimum time required to score points. A quick post-race accounting by IMSA revealed Hedman spent 44 minutes and 58.606 seconds in competition. By the time he pulled onto pit lane, stopped and handed over to Menezes to finish the remainder of the Cadillac Grand Prix of Sebring. For failing to spend that extra 1.394 seconds in action, Hedman's efforts to start the race... And compete until turning the car over to Menezes was voided by running afoul of the minimum drive time regulation. Thanks to the litany of rules found in sports car racing and the heavy handed approach to penalties, a brassy win by 12.258 seconds was transformed into a last place finish in class with the loss of 33 laps. Hedman completed. Had Hedman been slowed by traffic or run wide at an important corner or braked a bit earlier or taken a moment longer to accelerate on any of those 33 laps, there's no penalty and no story. And that, to me, Graham, is the letter of the law, spirit of the law. Uh, Yeah, had it been six minutes, you'd say, okay, okay no question, no argument, I think you still have to apply that mindset, whether it's six minutes or six seconds, or in this case, 1.3 seconds. It's still run afoul of the same rule. The rule is not weighted. Well, if you really, really violate it, we're going to penalize you just super extra stiffly. But if you just run a little bit, well, we'll just penalize you a little bit. There's no gradient here. So that's where this feels wrong. It's always going to feel wrong when we're talking about one second, just over one second. reality is this is the rule, and it was not complied with. The only thing I can throw in that might not have been spoken about a ton, Graham, is the team told me they were having connectivity issues on pit lane with IMSA's data, that's something that the teams use to try and double confirm their own drive time and such i'm told that there were some some issues there team was flying maybe a little bit blind in this regard thought they got it but still the fact that all henrik had to do was just blow a braking zone and run a little bit long and half and just you know resume seconds later to get back on track or been asked to save a little bit of fuel and lift and coast a tad early one lap one instance of any of those things graham we have nothing to talk about so i think that's the area that's just always going to stick with folks where you go oh you get balked by a gt car (laughs) coming onto the front straight you're magically complying with your drive time minimum uh but those things did not happen
1: well it's going to be the irony is now I know the next time I see Enric uh I'll be reminding him that uh, look that what's actually happened there is you were too fast Enric you were t- 1.2 th- uh, 1.3 seconds too fast
0: now if you show up it. for an interview with him 1.394 seconds late <laughs> <laughs> I would expect you to say, hey, oh, man, I am so sorry.
1: Well, that's it. That's, um, I'll, I'll come back next week. Uh, but we'll see. Right, let's move on. Uh, two more questions, sir. First one, I, I'm actually keen to know what the answer to this one is because I don't know. It comes from Eric Hartrider. What's the significance of Mazda running the 77 and the 55? Any idea?
0: Uh, Well, uh. All I can tell you is I recall the 77 being used in the past in IMSA GTP with the Mazda uh, RX-7, RX-792P. The 55, I believe, was used, what? Uh, Well, not only in the winning um, car from 1991, the 787B at Le Mans. I don't know the numerical reasons behind them. Uh, what is it? I think the switch to 77 was some sort of thing about uh, the numbers look like characters of good luck in, uh, in I believe, Kanji's. Again, I'm okay. brain farting a little bit, but these are things I'm sure I should know much like many other things in life that I should know. <laughs> and yet, hopefully for your entertainment, I can fail you with the answer.
1: Um, right. We're going to finish off with IMSA uh, with couple of questions one from rob chalmers and the other one from daniel summersgill hello daniel uh, both of which surround potential for bop changes in gtlm uh rob chalmers says are they winding a hefty swing of the bop hammer in corvettes general direction after back-to-back wins and daniel says great second win of the season for corvette racing do you see a bop change coming hashtag me personally he says he thinks it's too early until the MP's cartoon anvil came over from Ira and struck the Porsche pit stalls at Sebring. Oh, oh. The 911 RSRs were competitive with the Corvettes. Yes, I
0: thought the uh, the stripping nude by <laughs> uh, between Tandy and Bamber uh, was that Bamber or was that Van Tour. I forget who was in the car. I apologize. Um, yeah, the the taking the pants off of uh, the one Porsche by the other Porsche. Not so good, uh, Daniel. Yeah, hundred percent. Uh, if we do not see BOP for the Corvette, beautiful, sublime Corvette, C8Rs, uh, smackety-smacked by the BOP um, police, I'll be really surprised uh, when we get rolling here at Elkhart Lake at the end of the month. Good old road, America. So, yeah, uh, while we spoke about the Mazda slash Cadillac change in fortunes due to BOP and also the continuation of form for lexus due to b o p and g t. d yeah uh you win two races in a row, you finish one two, two races in a row, as Corvette racing did, you just have to expect the b o p handcuffs to be uh getting polished and readied for you at the next round, so if that doesn't hey. happen you you're gonna see pitchforks and uh and fire being brought out by the rest of the GTLM paddock. I should mention, I probably should have mentioned this much earlier. A few of you might have seen this on our good old MP Podcast Facebook page, where I posted a photo of, I believe, the number three Corvette C8R with our mighty audio recorder strapped between the exhaust Ooh, outlets at Sebring. Yes, I haven't gotten the audio yet. Uh the recorder is currently with Corvette Racing. Ace PR man, Ryan Smith, on vacation somewhere. But he says as soon as he gets back, he'll send it to me and then uh, I'll listen to it. The other thing that we're doing, I might have mentioned this before, but if not, uh, I'll mention it now. So last year, once we learned that the Porsche 911 RSR with the rear-mounted exhausts with R and were the best-sounding things ever at the time, Once we heard that that was going to be going away, replaced by newer version of the model with side-mounted exhausts, uh, said to Porsche, hey, we should start capturing these sounds last year since we're not going to get them again. And so did three or four or five in-car audio captures Mm -hmm. at the remaining races. I've run some of them. I still have a couple that we have not used. So those are preserved from the now silent 2019 uh, version of the car that ran through 2019 having learned somewhat recently graham that the program as a whole is going away at the end of the year i reached back out to our friends at Porsche and said hey uh why don't we preserve as well uh since we're not going to have any 911 rsrs to hear next year uh can i send out one of my auto recorders and you hold on to it in just throw it in at each uh during a session during each of the remaining races and they thankfully said yes so we're doing that as well i got the audio from them from the opening session at sebring it's glorious <laughs> <laughs> oh it's glorious well, you know what? so
1: there's there's there was a question in the wek aslams uh Elmsaco, section about potential development of that car which you, I'm sure you'll get to when we get to, down through that the other quick um, management point here MP is I've shifted a question from Kevin Payne which sits in the top of your list with LMP3 uh, to come into a little group that is in the uh, the ACO questions because it's more relevant there there's lots to say about LMP3
0: okay well. Uh, why don't, unless there's anything else, something else in IMSA that you feel we must get to, I'm feeling like we've got to bust into your world Oh, Weck, Asim, Elms, echo, And so we're going to do that. I just hit the little marker, which means I know where to find it in editing. I feel so smart. Uh, all right, Graham. So you know what you should also do uh, just to help a guy like me who doesn't always work? Super smart is uh, pay attention to the words that I say and help me if I say things that are wrong and dumb. Okay, Kevin Payne. Uh, we're going to kick off with Kev yet again. This is as others have said, no genetic cars in LMP2 and LMP3, and only one scheduled for Lamar. Should we be worried they are disengaging Graham? And I know that Daniel Somersgill has a related question janetta finished with lmp racing in general etc what can you tell us here and does someone tell janetta that every week on this show at least <laughs> one person sends in a question expressing love and concern for them like seriously uh yep. this is the home for folks who love janetta's which of all the distinctions for the weekend in sports cars i'd say that's one of the better ones
1: OK, so let's let's start. Uh, let's deal with LMP1 first. You're absolutely correct that no Ginetta's on the entry list for the Spa six hours next month. Only one genetta now on the revised now 60 car entry list for the Le Mans 24 hours 2020. So all of the reserve places are uh, cars are gone. Uh, so one Ginetta withdrawn from that. We wait to see, but I'm not holding my breath about whether or not we'll see a Ginetta at Bahrain for the final round of the 2019-2020 FIWEC. Um I am aware they do have a potential customer for at least one car in grandfathered form for 2021, whether that comes to pass. I think we'll, we'll be determined by... You know, how things go between the ACO, LMEM and Geneta, and also what finally comes forward, because we haven't seen it, to do with how you're going to grandfather an LMP1 car against a rather heavier uh, and marginally less powerful uh, Le Mans hypercar, which is going to be the lead car for next year. So LMP1, um, I think it's fair to say that Lawrence has rather fallen out of love with that scene. I don't think he's been enjoying... Uh, the machinations, etc. LMP2, I think that was probably just a mistype, but LMP2 we've been through uh, a number of times of the week in the sports cars. LMP3, different story. So I believe four cars have been sold. Um, one of those cars is in the hands of. Uh, a previous ELMS team that uh, there was a point where we might very well have seen a Junetta on the grid for the 2020 uh, European Le Mans series but that programme went away for two reasons one of which is directly COVID related because that's a uh, commercial matter, the other one which was marginal rather peripherally covid related which is the way that the the, uh, the calendar change meant no silverstone race and also that there were little or no opportunities this year this year for business to business um guests to be in hospitality suites at these races and the team that has that car therefore effectively lost their motors operandi for for raising the money that they they raised their sponsorship uh, in no small part, from commercial activity and hospitality suites uh, during those race weekends. Effectively, customers were brought there to basically enjoy their weekend racing. So you can't do that, and in this case, because you can't do that in the UK, because there's no UK race, that opportunity went away. But there are uh, customer cars out there, there are cars uh, in build at Genetta for LMP3. Is it a happy time between all parties? Fundamentally Not uh, you may have read elsewhere on the web uh, some words that, uh, that that Lawrence Tomlinson has said about these things. And it is fair to say that he is fundamentally not a very happy bunny. Not much more we can really say about at the moment. But uh, if that, if this is the beginning of the end of that program, I'm just here to say I think that's a real shame. That was, you know, outside of the factory world of LMP1, really the one bespoke um, LMP1, okay, actually, you could say that the the uh, the, bicolors the CLM is, but that itself is derived from an LMP2 chassis of old. But the one bespoke LMP1 privateer car we've actually seen, and much as it most certainly needs to develop, my God, that thing's fast. And if this is the last we see of it at Le Mans, and it might be, uh, that I think will be a very sad day.
0: It also appears the uh, DailySportsCar.com crow. Uh, is not too happy in the background.
1: Oh, no, he's not happy about that. No, no.
0: no. Uh, well, let's go to Neil Hardy. We're going to kind of stick in the general P3 realm. The extra fuel stops, Graham, for LMP3 yep. in the ELMS and MLMC were unintentional, but they seem to add a strategic element to the racing. Do you think they should be kept instead of going uh, to the expense of remapping the engine, engines, extra testing, et cetera, Tell folks about this. You know, we have another one from James Counter, just curious about causes of the fuel issues for the LMP3 cars. Uh, what led to this and such, uh, yeah, Paul Ricard? So, just clue folks yeah, into the I'll overall add, issue here.
1: I'll add in as well the question we got from Kevin Payne in the IMSA section, we couldn't get to, which is curious why the uh, LMP3s have the mandated pit stop times but not an Interpro prototype Challenge. through that one first, it's because of the different cars, Kevin. Uh, in EMSO Prototype Challenge, they are the uh, original spec of LMP3. We had finally the competitive debuts at uh, Paul Ricard in both Michelin Le Mans Cup and in the European Le Mans series of the 2020 spec LMP3s, which have a new engine. It has about 35 brake horsepower more. And the devil, as they always say, is in the detail. What our questioners are asking about here, if you didn't follow what was going on at the weekend, is two bulletins. One uh, just prior to the Michelin Le Mans Cup race, the other one just prior to the European Le Mans Series race, mandating additional fuel stops for both. Why? Because Orica, who prepare the full drivetrain package, is a spec uh, Nissan um, and extract gearbox drivetrain for the a powertrain rather for the LMP3 cars, whether or not you buy a Ligier, whether or not you buy a Duquesne, whether or not you buy a Ginetta, whether or not you buy an Ades. Um And they had noted after the free practice sessions that something was awry with fuel consumption. and They were concerned that the cars might not make the distance. That's very strange Indeed. Uh, and I finally got, I believe, uh, at least a, uh, a substantially full explanation from a couple of teams today. It's very strange indeed, because those engines have been on in development for about a year. Uh, some teams were testing with those engines uh, before we went into lockdown. And if, even if not that, we had two full days of testing for the ELMS teams that same week uh, with something like 18 hours of track time. And we had a further day of testing for the Michelin Amon Cup uh, cars. So quite why that was only noticed after free practice that weekend, I have zero explanation. What I can tell you is this. Um, Everything is spec about that powertrain with one exception. And the one exception is because this is a, a kind of a transition year into the 2020 spec cars, some of those cars have got a brand new nissan vk56 v8 engine in the back of those cars other of those cars i've got an upgraded vk50 engine the original engine which has been spec'd up to produce more power blah 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 so effectively what you've got are uh, a new spec of an old engine or an old engine that has been up spec'd to broadly speaking the same spec my understanding is the problem was with the upgraded engines now uh, it's fair to say I think, unless someone from Orica wants to call and object to this, that's a massive dropping of the ball from Orica. Quite how it's taken them the time it did to come up with this uh, this uh, this answer, I've absolutely zero explanation. Uh, so what it ended up with for the LMS was there are two mandated. 150-second stops. So you have to stop for 150 seconds. That's done in no small part to deal with the safety aspects in the pit lane. They don't want what they believe might be less experienced teams uh, to rush a fuel stop, for instance. You then had an additional 40-second stop mandated uh, over and above an already – quicker stop so we had 250 seconds two at 40 seconds and Neil was absolutely right that some of the teams then got their smart heads on and started to think about how they could play the game with those mandated stops we saw it in Michelin Le Mans Cup where of course there's just one stop uh, in addition uh, we saw it in, in the European Le Mans series I thought it did add um, uh, something to it but I tend to kind of focus and I'd be keen to hear what you've got to say on this very point fuel stops in sports car racing seem to be happening the, t- the tanks in the back of the cars are relatively tiny now you know when we get into LMP2 cars stopping every kind of 38 to 40 minutes for me that doesn't feel very endurance the performance is there but it doesn't feel very endurance and um, I'd be loath to actually suggest that it's a good thing in a four hour race to actually ask these cars, which should be perfectly capable of going a full hour and a little bit more uh, on a tank of fuel, um, to do less than that in search of an acceptable level of fuel consumption. It looks to me like it's going to be a short term problem, by the way. Oracle have been told to fix it, asked for, asked, read, told to fix it. And they're going to need to do that pretty quickly because, of course, Paul Ricard, whilst it does have some pretty long straights for, you know, hammer down running, they're not nearly as long as what we're going to get in September for the Le Mans 24 hours. And whilst the LMP3 cars don't run there, they do run in the supporting road to Le Mans. So if you have got fuel consumption problems at Paul Ricard, you're darn sure going to have them uh, at the Le Mans 24 hour meeting in September.
0: Yeah, for sure. We have a case where things have been timed as such, Graham, to have tire life match in or around what we consider a fuel stint. Not saying that all tires and all sports car races where refueling takes place uh, has a situation where those tires are only good for one stint. Obviously, that's not. We know that multiple stints are quite often achieved. But if we're just talking about the longevity mindset. There is a bit of a connection between the two here. Uh, we do not have tire manufacturers saying, Oh, well could stretch that tank to an hour and a half, two hours, whatever it might be. And so therefore we need to make tires that are radically more long lasting. Uh, also probably more like granite too, which wouldn't be a whole lot of fun. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I've, said this not too many times on the show, but, um, uh, would certainly say we have a situation where endurance racing, you know, the enduring part is really not really part of what we do. Like the endure. Yeah. There's no enduring really most cars and most championships easily finish whatever length race they're put through. 24 hours, nope. 6, five, ten, 4, 2 hours and 40 minutes, whatever else. Um, so throwing in fuel stops, I just view that as entertainment and also something that, you know, depending upon drive time minimums and such, not necessarily a total surprise to see that uh, in some instances minimum drive time happens to fall in or around the approximate length of a stint uh, of fuel. So I know that that might not be exactly aligned with what we're mentioning here about some fuel issues, LMP3, ELMS, Paul Ricard, but just general sense, we, we've found ways to tie some things into both entertainment, stint length, uh, yada, yada, yada. So I don't know. Um, I've never been a fan of fuel saving races, That was the Group C formula for the longest time. Um, I don't know. Uh, I'd rather just see the cars go as quickly as possible, period. And fuel saving never really have to be a thing. I just don't know exactly how we achieve that.
1: I'm certainly up for strategy being... A factor. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I fell up and out of love with Spar 24 Hours, as our listeners will know, is because things are too mandated, too structured, too templated, uh, and it removes that team aspect. But I agree with you. I mean, um, I'd like to say, think things are a little bit more edgy mechanically and strategically and whilst it added something here, I think it's something that the teams would get their head around. It would, it would come back in a pretty templated way, pretty darn quickly. But uh, let's hope that the teams who've worked very hard through uh, lockdown to, to get these, these cars dialed in um, can actually get to the stage where they can be raced as they were intended. What's the next MP? Yeah.
0: As intended you people, you uh, let's ah. see. So we've got a question here that is from our pal Scott at third wheel racing again. That's in the wet category. Section, <laughs> nah, but I but I I like it because I wanted to pose this because it fits with their quote. The question was, what are the odds of Penske and Porsche continuing uh, as an LMDH program with the Acura deal going away? The one mm-hmm. quote that Tim Sindrick offered about the future said nothing about IMSA. It just yeah. restated Roger Penske's long-standing line of wanting to go back to Le Mans. So whether yep. it's LMDH, Hypercar, whatever else, what feeling have you gotten, at least from your side of the pond, Graham, on whether if and when the next time we see Penske competing with a manufacturer, there will indeed be a WEC uh, slash Le Mans 24 angle to it? Maybe is the well, overriding I, I, thing.
1: Yeah, well, I you know, personally as an enthusiast, I hope so. I think they're a fantastic team and we've not seen enough of them on this side of the pond. That's that's sad news for Imser if that's the way it goes. But I think you, like me, MP, I mean, I can probably, if I sit and think about it, over the last five, six, seven years, count four or five occasions on which I have been told by those linked in with a variety of programmes that happened and some that didn't, that Penske had shown interest in that program, based around either WEC or specifically the Mon 24 Hours. No doubt in my mind that the captain has a hunger for it. Um, LMDH is going to be interesting, and I think this is where the I mean, first things first, I mean, I cannot see any way that we're going to get LMDH before 2023 at this stage in a, and neither, I think at this stage, should we be pushing for it? I think at this stage, you'll hear it, uh, whenever we get to the point of, um, inside the sports car paddock, which we've got some cracking stuff coming this week, you'll hear it almost from the horse's mouth. And I won't tell you who's on the show, uh, yet, but, uh, it's a pleasant surprise. Um, Basically, making it very clear that whilst there will be pressure um, put on to push things forward, that it's going to be the market that absolutely decides this. And uh, my impression from talking to a variety of people about this is they're looking to see whether or not 2022 might be possible, but realistically, the acceptance is that it's going to be 2023. And in another of the interviews on Inside the Sports Car Paddock, you'll hear from a very prominent member of a number of paddocks worldwide um, on what they think should be done in the meantime. As for Penske, as for Porsche, as for um, everything else to do with the LMDH bit, that's the dynamic I think is going to be an interesting one. Who goes where? Who goes for... um, the IMSA side of things, who goes to the WEC side of things? Will anybody try to do both? Um, will anybody do a mix and match? What uh, you know? How far are uh, are the the kind of the, the is the goodwill of this alliance uh, on LMDH between IMSA and the ACO going to be stretched? If you've got people that want to you know basically cherry pick the bigger races, just exactly what is the detail of the either the sporting regulations or indeed the background chatter uh, behind closed doors going to uh, what we're going to see in terms of factory interest, pure factory interest. Because the other side of this is the customer side of this. Are we going to see Porsches in both championships? Are we going to see other makes in both championships? I think we might. I think we might certainly see Um, something not unlike what your suggestion was on the Acura front, MP, that here's where the exciting part gets, which is I do think a number of the factories interested in LMDH are interested principally because they can be customer programs and they can then transfer uh, what at the moment is a cost center for motorsports into a profit center for motorsports. If we can achieve that uh, to enough of a degree, then that, uh, the introduction of LMDH will be a groundbreaking move. Might well be back to kind of Group C days in terms of the level of accessibility that you get. And again, you can read something on Daily Sports Car and Racer tomorrow, and you can hear it on Inside the Sports Car Paddock from a very senior source within the industry who has a radical view as to what that means.
0: There you go. Charged words from Graham Goodwin. Uh, ta-ta, here's another question that was not meant for weck so- Hey, co, uh, Doogie Davies, you sent in one about Hyundai and whatnot. Uh, send that one back in brother. We'll get to that, uh, next week for sure. Uh, let's see. Got a lot of other questions. Uh, I'm just oh, this trying. is the
1: one. There's jo- jo- Jordan Hotwood here, Asked This is the one I was, I was implying earlier, which was how much development happens on GTE cars during the season, how much the car can be changed. He saw on Michael Christensen's Instagram video, the RSR testing, which no longer had the side exhaust and sounded a lot like the outgoing RSR. Second time Porsche has changed their exhaust mid-season. Why? I've actually reached out to Porsche and asked the question. He's absolutely right. It does indeed show a car with the current bodywork, but no visible side exhaust. Uh, no answer, I'm afraid, as yet, from our friends at Porsche. Uh, it could be, could be, this is a test mule car, uh, so it could be a kind of hybrid, and I mean that with a small h, not, rather than the electrified, um, you know, capital H, it could be a hybrid test mule testing systems, but it will be interesting indeed as to whether or not we see an RSR uh, turn up in a revised form. Um, I sort of be surprised if they'd done that we've not really seen that the the package is any weaker as a result of the change uh, that was made to the side exhaust Uh, but you're right uh, it did look to to me as it did to you Jordan uh, to be a change from what we've seen in the WEC and IMSA to this point this season
0: Let's see where we are at Uh, we should grab a couple of more for you before jumping over to I don't know. Well, actually, I don't want to stay because you're the official selector, so I'm not going to say what oh, category do, do is well, next. Before,
1: there's, there's, there's one here that just dives out. Right Turn Lover asks, are Iron Links, a real teamer of Kessel done a reverse, Spirit of Race, an Italian flag? Actually, Iron Links aren't Kessel anymore. In fact, there's been a bit of a parting of the ways for various people in, involved in what was the Kessel gtm program last year in michelin among cup and and in uh lms in fact iron links are staffed by af corsair in other words spirit of race now so there's been a bit of a division between those two camps um so yes uh the two iron links cars in lms with some very familiar italian mechanics uh, as well as some very familiar uh, crews that with with kessel racing last season
0: yeah and if our listeners believe that cover story, I tell you what, the reality here, Iron Links, it's a return of the 1980s hair metal band as a racing team. Go. So, there you go. Uh we had another question here and I'm not sure if I'm seeing it in front of me, it might have come in a little bit late. Just talking about the odds, how uh how we feel about the odds of Ferrari at Le Mans this year. Uh and I think in looking in the GTE Pro category, Something like yeah. thirteen Ferrari four eighty eight Evo GT threes. I that mean,
1: you know, G, GTM. Yeah, yeah
0: I right. I'm it's sorry. Some, uh, some do we need to start it's a fifth a class? Just the the straight <laughs> up Ferrari GTE AM class. Where hey, surprise,
1: Ferrari won. It's, big, it's the most expensive Ferrari's challenge race in the world. Uh, the The answer is, um, well, the odds are there, aren't they? If you if you look at the odds in terms of the numbers, but those. Um, 911 RSRs are very strong indeed. Remember, in GTM they still run the uh, the basically the 911 RSR 2017 cars, the noise makers we were talking about earlier. Uh, in fact, uh, one of the other stories over the weekend from Christian Reed from Dempsey Proton Racing Proton Competition, he has not only ordered but has had delivered four new spec Porsche 911 RSRs for competition next year in. Uh, in competitions yet to be determined that's going to involve WC and DLMS we had a quick chat about the prospect of you know potentially additional uh, 911 RSRs at something like the Rolex 24 if the the opportunity arose and that was something where he said oh if there's an opportunity we'd love to run the uh, Daytona so watch this space for what uh, Proton competition are going to do will it be a walkover for the Ferraris I think there's some Aston Martin teams and very strong ones at that and some Porsche teams that might have something to say about that. Um, waiting to see who's going to be aboard some of those cars. But uh, Christian Reed and Porsche Motorsport have got a fine history of putting some very quick guys indeed behind the wheels of their Porsches as well as the Project One team, as well as the golf racing team have been coming on strong as well. I think GTM, it might not be the most glamorous uh of of classes out there in terms of mainstream media interest but it might be one of the ones where we get a real dogfight this year
0: i really don't like to hear you downplay the class that uh, tracy crone has participated in of late graham so i think that's very short-sighted i mean the fans of gtem clearly show up for the green ferrari but
1: you know whatever Uh, i see how it is tracy crone tracy crone i'll give tracy this i love tracy to bits by the way he's a lovely fella He he is the only man he is the only man that i can recall in my time covering the le mans 24 hours who has raced two different cars uh three times in the le mans 24 hour week uh, because he's written off the original car three times, and they've delivered a new one—one one Porsche and two Ferraris—as I recall—that we've had practice shunts so severe that they have literally had to go back out and buy another car. I
0: mean, we can reveal the the real answer here to this, Graham. Um, Tracy is just someone who likes things very clean and fresh and new, and when he says, "Hey, yeah. this kind of dirty used Ferrari that I, I've," been inside that i own now in these practice and qualifying sessions uh, i'd like to just start with something fresh and brand new for the race organizers have said no he said all right i got a way to fix that problem so yeah it, it's not hapless driving it's just someone who wants to make sure he has something fresh and brand new to drive in the race so
1: uh, uh i should apologize by the way for the noise in the background that is uh, that is the husky uh-huh. it does indeed have a book a bucket on his head he's he's not realized how wide he is now with what effectively is an inverted lampshade i'm afraid he's got a hurty paw uh stood on something and that's got infected so he's uh he's, he's, he's had some treatment for that but because he does like to clean himself because he's a clean husky and the hashtag very good boy uh, i'm afraid he's had to have one of those uh, cones of shame as the film up um uh, I think so, brilliantly actually uh, uh, dubbed it, and he's got that for the next couple of days. So that's him just trying to get into the room and not realizing his head is now wider than the door. Oh, All right, why don't Blessed. we
0: wind down? I don't know if this is going to close. It's your call, obviously. But uh, our pal Jacob Bame, also Lance Snyder, have questions about crashes, what could okay. be purely yep. suspension failures, or is there more? Uh, talking about the Eureka 07s, that yep. found misfortune last week in at Paul Ricard. We know that our pal Catherine Legg, still some questions as to what caused her crash. I okay. haven't heard anyone blame her for a driving error, but what insights can you give us on whether this was a systematic or systemic issue with one thing maybe uh, tipping the Eurekas into these failures or what do you know?
1: Two, two or three separate things here, MP. Um, the irony of the conversation I had with Kat the evening before in the car park, leaving Paul Ricard for her first time, by the way, at Paul Ricard circuit, and she was offering the opinion that uh, it was nothing like The Sim. She did a lot of Sim work to prepare for the season and at Paul Ricard and that the observation was something akin to. It does look like a very a difficult place to have a big accident. I can recall pointer in the direction of Nick Manazian, who famously barrel-rolled the Peugeot onto the airfield some years ago. But um, When you're late for your
0: plane, sickening. you know, I mean, yes. you've got to get to the plane.
1: <laughs> yeah, but sickening shunts, and very clear from the CCTV shots that we got that Cat was on the brakes all the way to the impact zone, and that appears to be what did the damage. As to what caused it, everything is speculation i don't like speculating about a cause of an accident but i will give you these factors one uh, a number of drivers from both lmp2 and lmp3 cars post incident observed to me the wind had changed during the session it was cat's first time there they were making up for a bit of lost time they weren't quite on the pace and as you i and everybody else with with functionalized kind of test catherine legg is hard as nails and pushes like hell uh, when she's up against it. So there's no doubt about it that Catherine was pushing, pushing hard. Entry speed into scene something over 300 kilometers an hour. Um, the the uh, two or three things that could have happened. There was an issue, um, and it was happening for both Michelin and Goodyear tires. There's an issue with front left tires throughout the weekend. We saw that with the leading car losing the race to a puncture late on, Um, a construction issue we believed for both tires. That seems to be linked in with the extremely high grip from the resurfaced Paul Ricard circuit, um, but uh, getting very low degradation. But there were some odd failures going on front left tires, rear left for some of the GT cars as well. And that was happening as well to LMP2 and LMP3 cars. Um, the points made about suspension failures, in the case of at least one of those, now i spotted two, uh, one of which I think was the Duquesne car, and the other one was certainly Julian Canal in the Panis Racing car, which uh, was caught vividly rear end as the thing went and pitched him into the barrier, drivers left on the start-finish straight. The Duquesne car had had a bit of a nerf at that corner, so I'd, I'm not certainly not going to call that that was the same issue. It's possible. Catherine made an error. Uh, it's a it's a place where it looks really difficult to have a shunt. It really, really isn't. Your entry speed is so high. If you get on the curb there and ground out at the front of the car, you lose that downforce. And all of a sudden, you're heading at just around 300 kilometers an hour in a straight line to a barrier that seemed like a long way away when you're going past it, not so much when you're heading for it. You want to know what that feels like? Ask Thomas Enger, uh, because I have a piece of Thomas Enger's Lola Aston Martin, and it's not a very big piece. It was about the biggest one I could find um, on my office wall, having written off the brand new car on its very first flying lap uh, about a decade ago. Uh, Two things to say. One Very pleased that it wasn't a broken wrist as well as the broken leg. Um, Two, recovery, I'm sure, will be rapid for the extremely fit uh, Catherine Leg. Three, nobody is pointing the finger and saying that this was a catastrophic driver's error. You don't need to make a big error at that corner to have a very big incident indeed. And certainly at the moment, I've not seen or heard of any evidence that there was any kind of catastrophic failure of the car. I will say this. I've heard some very good reports back from the level of support that Signatech, who are handling the Richard Mille Racing uh, team this year, and the level of support they've given to Catherine and her family. The team that uh, dealt with the medical intervention and extraction for cats, in the doing so, they had to destroy the Oreca chassis. Had to cut the top off the nose section of the car to get her out uh, with you know more than one break to that, uh, to that left leg. Uh, surgery went well. And I've zero doubt she'll be back in a car as soon as she can can convince a doctor that she's well enough to do so. Uh, And I look forward to seeing her back. And I hope that's going to be in weeks and not months.
0: I know that I believe it was Monday, Graham, she transferred to a uh, rehabilitation facility. So uh, that only speaks to good things and hopefully rapid development to getting back behind the steering wheel. So Absolutely. I know she wants, she'd love to try and make Le Mans somehow. Uh, and yeah, as you mentioned, tough as nails while also being one of the sweetest people it's, oh, yeah. and that's not Swedish, but sweetest, uh, people, <laughs> it's, it's a pretty impressive thing when you have someone who, uh, it just is capable of being, that good and kind of a person while also being that tough, uh, that that's not an easy thing to juggle.
1: I'll add one more thing, by the way. It's, it's another bit of a plug for Inside the Sports Car Paddock this week, which is we've got an interview with possibly the only woman in motorsport history more badass than Catherine Legg. I'll leave you to decide who that's going to be.
0: <sighs> All right. Should we... <laughs> Continue here, or shall we move on? You, you're the selector. Yeah.
1: What are we doing? What are we doing? Let's let's go quickly to Herr General. Uh, okay, there's not a fast number of questions. Actually, rather more than I thought the word be. It actually this this one, if you don't mind. I mean, I'll, I'll have a first crack at it, and by all means, feel free to wade in uh, on this one. It's an extension of the question about Catherine. Uh, it comes from David Matthews, who says, Graham and Marshall, after Catherine's nasty accidents, get well soon he says, of course, and uh, other accidents last season from LMP one, two, and three that left drivers with nasty leg injuries or ribs, is there something that needs looking at in cockpit design and leg protection? It's a really interesting question. When we realised there was a leg injury for Catherine, all sorts of kind of quiet and I have to say the very professional level conversations about what could have caused that. Intrusion something into the cockpit that wasn't the case shock injury through the brake pedal which appears to be what actually happened here uh, with the angle of attack um, or indeed as you quite rightly say David we have seen a number of incidents where uh, with a lateral impact uh, a driver's leg there's not en- not perhaps enough impact protection in the footwell of those cars. I think the LMP3 incident you're talking about was the incident for Christian England uh, at port and mau last year. I'm happy to see that Christian was back in a car and testing uh, earlier this year. And the, just as the, the teams came out of lockdown, he shut down some of the United Autosports uh, new Ligier LMP3 cars. That was a different sort of accident. It was a highly unpleasant accident for Christian. And suffice it to say that he's had magnificent work done by the doctors and with himself in rehabilitation. Do I think things need to be looked at at those cockpits? I think it's a process that needs to be evolutionary. You learn and should learn something from every incident and accident. That's why you look into these things. I think this is something where the human nature, the modern human nature MP, that when you investigate an accident, it's almost like you're looking for someone to blame. You're not. Uh, if you talk to accident investigators uh particularly people who work in kind of critical industries like aerospace or for that matter motorsport what they're looking for is what can we learn from this that can prevent that kind of accident happening again or that injury happening again and certainly i'm aware that uh, things like leg protection inside what are pretty tight cockpits at times is something that i know there's been an active uh, look at for quite some time things like you know the um but is it Xylon? Uh, yes, Xylon Anti-Intrusion Panel. That, you know, now, look, that is a highly expensive piece of technology, composite technology that's been introduced into race cars. It does add cost. We know that cost is a major factor in uh, you know, restricting growth in motorsport. But if it comes down to that cost being there and one person walking away from an incident that otherwise would have crippled them or killed them, then I'm here to tell you I think that's a cost worth paying.
0: No doubt about that. And if we're just limiting ourselves to last weekend, it's hard to have a crash at Paul Ricard. That does not involve a massive amount of speed and energy. Obviously there are slower places on the track where you can crash, but it is the, it's a type of place where if you have something go wrong and it is possibly mechanical, it rarely happens in the slower fiddly bits. It's usually at the highest rates of speed, highest load placed on the car uh, and so on and so forth. So yeah, it's just not a place where if you have something bad happen, you tend to walk away without feeling the full, full effects of physics and everything in motion. So uh, of course, there needs to be more work done, more improvements in every area at all times. That's just a general sweeping statement. But I, we would also be remiss if we didn't say the type of accidents, where they happened on the track last weekend and such, in the types of vehicles, you know, super quick prototypes. Yeah, uh, you have to expect the driver inside to get thrown around hard and heavily. And uh, that can certainly add to the impression that there might be something uh, even bigger uh, at fault here or something that's especially remiss uh, on the topic of safety and whatnot. Uh, let's see. I don't know. We could turn this into the Kevin Payne episode. Thanks for all the great questions, Kev. Um, you know, actually, I'm going to move over to Brian Dawkins here. So super GT opener was great this past weekend. Ooh. The GT 500 cars are fast and the formula provides exciting racing. Graham, do you think GTM is failing? Uh, he says, hashtag me personally. I believe the DTM single class sprint format doesn't highlight the incredible pace of the platform. Super GT, on the other hand, gets it right. So we've, I believe, okay. covered DTM pretty heavily. But maybe yeah. uh, if you could share some insights on awesome folks in the Japan. Yeah. Uh,
1: well, there are basically three major differences, aren't there? Difference number one is in DTM there is two manufacturers in uh, GT 500, which is what we're talking about here. Plus one regulations in Super GT, it is three. Um, sorry, there's four uh, major differences. The second difference is GT 300 also exists, which means you've got traffic to deal with. Difference number three is that it is indeed an endurance format rather than a sprint format. And difference number four is. It's the tyres. You've got uh, Hankook spec tyres in DTM. You have got the world's biggest surviving tyre battle in Super GT. And that is a massive, massive part of what makes the performance of those cars just light up. Super GT, um, I think the the potential to watch that live now worldwide as we had for many years with Nismo TV, happy to say that's the, that that's now back uh, from behind a paywall uh, and back on a platform that can be seen globally uh, with some good guys uh, behind the microphones. And I think, again, it's going to take a step forward. I think it's uh, one of those uh, bits of niche motorsport that deserves a bigger audience, uh, both with the, Um, the big name European and otherwise from uh, around the world drivers. And in exactly the same way as V8 supercars in Australia, the homegrown talent from Japan – Um, that are just hashtag awesome a lot of them Uh, amazing amazing driving great action I will admit that I didn't get to see it this weekend because we were absolutely you know heads down and going for glory uh, EMS week ending but uh, RG O'Connell for Daily Sports Car uh, brought every nip and tuck uh, to our pages the answer I think is blowing in the wind super gt just allows more factors in play dtm it just seems to have got more and more controlled as as time has gone on more and more spec and not just because the savings we made there i think the word is control uh and it I, i can't ever remember anybody saying to me that was just balance of performance and that was a BS results in Super GT this weekend whereas in DTM you quite often would hear it was his turn to win um and i think that says probably as much as i want to say about this i think it's been overmanaged it's as simple as that i think uh, the opportunity to influence results if it comes down to commercial and political reasons that's the point at which i'll be absolutely blunt i simply switch off very literally
0: would more than happily say, Graham, my basic viewpoints of where DTM has found itself with the spec cost saving tub and the speckish highly controlled power plants, uh with everything going in the route of control spec or lockdown to you know impossible degrees where It's very hard for manufacturers to differentiate themselves performance-wise. It Mm -hmm. has just felt like if NASCAR started a German sports car series, that's what DTM has become. Everything is managed and controlled to within an inch of its life. That's not the spirit of the DTM. And funnily enough, the manufacturers, for a variety of reasons, uh, but also I have to believe just the spirit of the thing just is not what they want to be there for anymore. And so manufacturers are bailing the things dying on the vine. And I think there's some lessons here when the vast it, well, the entirety of DTM's history, barring this most recent little spurt has been about some creativity and a little bit of openness to funky differences. Oh yeah. And, yeah. an Audi TT, Sure. Let's go. All right, let's go. Uh, Yeah, that's crazy. Come on. You know, we can go back years. It was the highest peak of technology in any form of racing in 95 and 96. I mean, beyond F1, beyond anything else, it's still crazy stuff that they allowed. I know that it was too expensive. I know we know all the things. But just saying, when the spirit of something has been about... Fun, difference, individuality, curiosity, something, and you just drum that out all together, you get NASCAR. You get all right, well the, the paint schemes are different. The liveries the liveries are the things you can celebrate as being different and not really anything else. Uh that that doesn't really work to our knowledge, uh in sports cars where you have something that lasts uh and thrives as a result of it uh let's see what am i gonna got one here here, um, well i was gonna grab one from rob chalmers a repost oh yeah and he threw in again which is good he also (laughs) you know make sure rob like us give us a hard time if you want it answered and we don't don't make it easy on us call us out that's the fun stuff rob says with maserati saying their soon to be launched mc20 will be their return to world-class motorsports will this be the gt4 that the uh, fiat chrysler uh company are currently missing or will this take the place of the aging 488 and allow ferrari to step up to prototypes what do you think what do you know what do you hear
1: uh well two questions on this one i've also got uh someone i've not seen before uh run v8 founders asked much the same question the straight answer is i don't know um <sighs> My initial thought was, is this going to be a one-make racer? Every sign suggests that the answer is no, it isn't. So that leaves you with, effectively, GT4, GT3, GTE. It is unlikely in the current climate to be a GTE car. The spec of the car, you'd sort of think it would be closer to GT3. But then you look at the kind of cars that are actually doing the rounds in GT4 at the moment with the McLaren five. amongst them it's somewhere in that kind of order isn't it it might be both it might be both and yet we've we've heard the kind of machiavellian stuff from uh ferrari again about what they might do with hypercar what they might do with lmdh blah 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 um so the the reality here is can i see ferrari leaving sports car racing no um i think they will have a presence in some regard Uh, if gte has gone away would that automatically mean they go to gt3 i think they'd be looking for customers to play ball there do i expect to see them somewhere in lmdh or in the top class of motorsport i absolutely do i cannot conceive that they would be happy being a you know a large fish in a smaller pond further down the grid when their market competitors uh, are most likely to be racing for the overall i think ferrari would want to be there are they arguing for any competitive advantage they can get of course they are it's ferrari don't be silly uh, as for maserati could that be the replacement brand uh in the uh the gt classes it could well be uh, if you're asking for knowledge the answer is i've reached out and have got nothing Um, we'll be reaching out again soon to find out what we can about this. It might well have been another program, by the way, that is delayed through COVID-19. So it might be that we don't get as rapid uh, a response or confirmation as we otherwise would have done. But uh, it does seem as if the Maserati, pretty car that it is, is coming motor racing. Quite where it will be, will be a nice surprise. Look at that.
0: That was a tactfully... Provided answer there, Mr. Goodwin. <laughs> I think we should say farewell to Rao and again, we'll, we'll we assess should. here. There's a lot more we could get to, but um, why don't we say farewell to that? I know we're already well past the time we thought we'd be committing today and move to FUN um, Fun. I'm not actually going to split this off into a separate category because there's only a couple of questions. Three. James Counter... Yeah. And today's mostly the me asking questions episode. I like these. I don't have to think. I just want to throw questions. Uh, James counter Graham. Goodwin Has the keyboard caught fire
1: yet? You know what? It was great to be back at a racetrack.
0: Oh, hold on. We got the robotic sound again. Got to unplug and replug. It's weird how this always happens at about the hour and a half. Mark, did you put enough coins in your uh, internet provider machine there? Has that helped? It has.
1: There you go. Right. So um, was really good to be back at a racetrack. Paul Ricard, actually always a nice place to go, even with the additional call and burdens uh, in, 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 uh, necessary with the COVID-19 prevention. Oh, I thought uh, you were measures. talking
0: about being around French people, which uh, wasn't going to uh, be again. nice. Your darkened heart no. exposed again. Um,
1: <laughs> yet again. Uh, but uh, it was intense. Um, and it does remind you, by the way, that even if you've been busy through kind of the lockdown process, which I most certainly have been, it's not quite like having to respond to the cycle of events on track and for the LMS uh Events in particular, particularly when we got into race weekend, there are now three races, uh, three race series on the package with LMS, with Michelin Le Mans Cup and the new for 2020 Ligio European Series, which we will be covering on Daily Sports Car as well. Uh, So there was literally no rest. So every single moment there were cars on track, and that was most of those moments. um, You were there and kind of pounding out copy or trying to find people or trying to interview people, blah, 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 blah. Um, Thoroughly enjoyed it. Absolutely uh, loved being back at a track. It was uh, no real surprise to find just how mentally and physically exhausted uh, both Dave Lord and I were at the end of each day. It was searingly hot there, 30 degrees plus throughout the weekend. Not helped by the fact that the brand new to me uh, DSC Fun Bus did develop one fault and only one fault in its debut road run. And that was no air conditioning. (laughs) at all what so uh so i i found out uh by the way thank you to united autosports whose guys worked very hard to try to to actually sort out what that problem was we think it's a errant sensor so i've now we're we're gonna the car is in for uh repair this week and i'm gonna take the broken parts uh find the dealer that sold it to me and insert it where the sun don't shine Thirty thirty five degrees of heat with hot air coming through the system for. Well, we were in that car for eighteen hundred miles uh, that, over the last weekend. Um, it was not a pleasant place to be. Some of my laundry is disgusting. There you go.
0: Oh, I'm kind of sorry I asked this question, James. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, Lance Snyder asked, what is more silly? E-scooter racing in twenty twenty one. Or that abhorrent rejoin by the prototype Uh, driver at Paul Ricard.
1: I sort of feel sorry for Mr. S. Parro, um, uh, the Rinaldi racing car, in that he did get tipped into a half spin. But yes, the rejoin. If you didn't see this, this was turn 14, the final turn onto the start-finish straight um, at Paul Ricard. And it was a – the comedy of errors here, MP, was – it would have been laugh-out-loud funny had it not been so tragic, really. Cool Racing from Switzerland, uh, who run a couple of LMP3 Ligiers in the Michelin Le Cup. This is another incident linked in with that that uh, issue around fuel consumption for the LMP3 cars. You can guess that the 37 car it was here uh, had one of the old spec engines upgraded rather than a new spec engine. Uh, Orica attempted to change the map for that engine to to solve the problem. Apparently, from what we heard from Nico Lapierre, now a shareholder at Cool Racing, it worked for one car, but not for the 37. They then released the car, having failed to change the map. It missed pit out, therefore it joined the end of the uh, race after losing a lap, so already their race is effectively over. Uh, making his way through the GT uh, pack and doing so uh, in excellent fashion, uh, Nic- uh, Nicola Malini, for it was he, came around turn 14 on yellows, it should be said, going to the inside of the car parked at right angles halfway across the track. Uh, across, was, uh, across the, uh, the outside kerb. And at that point, Mr. S. Paro, aboard the uh, Rinaldi Racing Duquesne, Rinaldi's debut in LMP3 racing as well, uh, chose that moment to go to the inside and T-boned into the side of the LMP3. A comedy of errors. Um, and yes, that was not his finest moment. E-scooter racing. <sighs>
0: ass hattery and thanks to uh lance snyder who is the minister of mirth (laughs) on the weekend sports cars we can this is a new bestowment so lance uh send me a direct message uh i'll write minister of mirth on a piece of tape and then apply that to a t-shirt and we'll send it to you or something like that so but thank you lance for always having an eye for the silly we're gonna close here with joe izzo i think this is a uh, shots fired moment we're going to close the show here. Joe, I think Shortly he just up. wants to see a takedown of my elephantine self. Graham, <laughs> need true English insight into an important yep. debate. Okay. It, he might have misspelled that. It might be an impotent debate. Open <laughs> for debate on the debate. Are what American companies pass off as, quote, English muffins, accurate, mm-hmm. or is America being duped? by big muffin industry
1: right okay i can tell you this f- for, for starters for a fact i had never tasted a so-called english muffin until i bought one at mcdonald's ever okay um they are basically it's a kind of breakfast bread isn't it it's a kind of bready kind of rolly typey doughy it's very nice but uh, but they're, they're not called english muffins in england they're called muffins uh they're not terrifically popular um, they are the basis for eggs Benedict, which uh, just the most revolting thing I can possibly imagine. Um, and yeah, they're, they're just—it's not a very usual foodstuff over here in the UK at all. I'm not going to get hate mail, I'm sure, from the kind of bakery uh, cabal that I'm sure surrounds. Big surround bakery, bakery. With.
0: <laughs> coming after oh, the do- Daily Sports Car.
1: Hey, mate, we we i 'm not messing about we do have an lmp p two and lmp three team owned by the, by an industrial bakery in into europol Eat the is absolutely that's a second one there you go but um but no english muffin uh is a muffin that 's it it 's a muffin uh but uh, as a proud Englishman and i am uh, i can tell you that uh it would have been well into i'm guessing The I would have been well into my 20s before I ever tasted a muffin, and the first place I would have done that would have been at a McDonald's. That's it.
0: So first of all, go to hell. Um, (laughs) uh, Second of all, I did have a muffin for breakfast this morning. It wasn't English. It was just a standard muffin. Yes, a fine muffin, though. Uh, As a kid, some point in time in the 80s, I recall English muffins sprouting to life as a new invention that my stepmother must have seen at the grocery store and brought home thomas's the brand thomas's english muffins uh a mighty fine thing kind of sour doughy yeah, yeah, in taste
1: yeah. do pop, delicious
0: pop them into the toaster apply butter and i'll just say there are so many options for breakfast at least filtering this through a 12 or 13 year old me there might not be a better breakfast delivery device than a thomas's english muffin well toasted not lightly not heavily but well with ample amounts of butter it, it just it's perfect you get your bread and the oily uh substance that you need to lubricate your body for the day uh, i can say that also without a doubt the phrase nooks and crannies any american that uses the word nook or cranny but usually yeah. it always comes in the same combination any american that utters writes, or whatever the phrase nooks and crannies has gotten that taken that and stolen it from the thomas's english muffins commercials that were rampant in the 1980s so well,
1: at least well, thanks well.
0: to this breakfast brand company delivery food delivery device nooks and crannies part of the american english lexicon isn't that perfect though graham air quote english muffins something beloved now in america and of course we add something to the english language as a result of fake english muffins in america with nooks and crannies as a phrase. It is- We've, it is we've a ticked strange thing, box. isn't it?
1: What you've added to the language is the word English, <laughs> which is rather ironic. Um, I think next week, next week, crumpets and marmite, but uh, on the weekend, sports cars. Uh, I have no doubt whatsoever, and we'll be getting hate mail from the Australians as well with their revolting Vegemite alternative. We don't get uh, enough but, hate uh, mail, by the way. Can I just no express
0: my disappointment? And it's not because we do such a good job. There is no reason to hate. It just it might be apathy. We need. Well, last week I exposed how bitterly cruel and mean of a person you are so yeah. you know but still nothing nothing so i don't know we got to do a better job of being <laughs> nastier we need to offend more people that's going to be the new formula oh, that, of the weekend sports cards. that
1: could be that could be you that could be an absolutely new uh new strand couldn't it we can have uh imsa uh wek aslams elms akko uh general fun and insults that and screw be- you yeah yes indeed screw you the screw yeah. you section or yeah next week well, on the,
0: the you people section yeah there you we go pe- oh yes, oh, yes. Hashtag you people. that's the new hashtag
1: you people uh great stuff right it's my turn to take it home isn't it it is marshall thanks again um for what's always a fun hour and a half to two hours to three to four to five hours a week doing the weekend sports cars um it's just getting sunset here in the uk uh, after another engaging trip through a bundle of but by no means the majority of the questions that you our fine listeners provide uh, this has been the week in sports because again part of Marshall Pruitt podcast we're going to say thank you to Cooper Tyres thank you to the Justice Brothers to Toronto and to Bell Helmets USA without whom this would be possible but far less fun uh, but most of all to you the listeners to you Marshall Pruitt he's been him I've been me. We'll be back as soon as we can, but before that, with a return of Inside the Sports Car Paddock. Good night.